Hi everyone, I'm Ben. And I'm Will. And uh, welcome to this series of Will and Ben, the Wildlife Men. Hi Ben, good to see you. Will, it's been a while, how are you doing? It's been ages, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, Well-deserved break, or just that we couldn't get organised enough. Huh? Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing really well. Um, back down in Cornwall for probably a fairly long time. I'm just writing up a paper at the moment all about um, millions of flies we saw migrating into Cyprus, which is really, really nice. And so I'm just dreaming of being back on a hot Cypriot beach in the springtime going after these flies um, and then looking out on a rainy, rainy Cornwall. Although actually on Monday it was gorgeous. We went surfing and came out of the water um, and the first bumblebee I've seen of the year, which is really nice. And yeah, it's gorgeous down here, really. Awesome. No, that sounds pretty good. I think I had a, I had my first bumblebee of the spring. I think it was the same day, possibly like an hour <laughs> before. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I remember that. It's, um, it's felt so spring-like this last like week or so. We've still had some really horrendous days here on the scene in northwest wales and um, yeah. like it's been misty and wet do you have any snow like mum at home has so much snow we've had a dusting we have not had enough well barely enough to scrape together a, a snowman but still really pretty like looking east towards snowdonia it's just covered in snow it looks awesome i bet i bet yeah well um how was your christmas christmas was good yeah um it was pretty pretty chill not exactly uh busy on the social side as <laughs> sure you can gather no it was, it was pretty nice the conditions were were good enough to sort of get out and about each day just exploring around the local patch and um watching starling murmurations and chuffs coming into roost in the evenings and porpoise out in the sound in in, Bar in the barsley sound and stuff like that um, so it was really nice just uh yeah switching off for a bit and, and getting out and about um, yeah we went up on Christmas morning, went up to the top of Berwyn for dawn, and it was so pretty. This is gorgeous. I think it's my favourite mountain, and it was a bit tough getting up early in the dark and frozen, frozen dogs, etc. And um, then, yeah, we climbed up. It was quite windy, and then suddenly you get to Clincaus, this little lake, and it's dead silent because it's kind of like an old, at least a glacial like I don't know if it's an old volcano but it looks quite volcanic the little crater up there and it just shields the wind and everything's dead silent and there was a um uh, what was there there was a gisander on the lake and then climbed up and there was so much snow my beard froze solid uh the water in my water bottle froze and poor little wren stuck pretty close my little dog and um yeah it's so beautiful such a beautiful day but yeah, I've been loving exploring everything. And yeah, you had posts on Instagram recently about these tiny little dwarf forests, right? Yeah, it's been great. As part of my work on the fin, I've been able to get to some, some of the really cool habitats that we have here. And one of them is the, uh, the sort of dwarf forests on, on some of the seaward slopes just above some of the beaches where you have um, these amazing gnarled, twisted sort of oak and hazel forests clinging to the slopes. Um, and they're sort of, they're really sculpted by the wind and the sea spray that have been coming in off the coast. And also because the slopes are so steep, they're just 
yeah, it's just crazy. They're about a third of the height of normal trees. So, you know, when you're in the forest, it is, it really does feel like a sort of, a sort of fairyland type uh, situation. It's, it's really magical. Yeah. What fascinates me about that is how trees like hazel with their, their seeds, which are round and like fairly heavy, can get to those steeps or get to the, the very edges of the land and still become forests and yeah it's a fascinating thing isn't it it is a very fascinating thing yeah shall we uh, delve a bit further into that particular story <laughs> that was so smooth yes let's go <laughs> let's <do> it. <laughs> it's one of those bright windy winter's days which are so welcome in breaking the monotony of the gray skies and drizzle of a welsh winter golden sunshine bathes the coastline and sodden fields and a howling westerly wind whips up the Irish Sea into a fury of white water. I'm stood on the southeast end of Hell's Mouth, or Porfnagel in Welsh, a sweeping bay whose sandy shores lie gaping open to the southwest, and earn its place as one of North Wales' best surfing sites. The spectacular waves and shallow seas here also provide the reason behind its infamous title of Hell's Mouth a site feared by mariners in the not-too-distant past, laying claim to dozens of ships who are unable to escape its pull during fierce storms. But it's a history of a different kind I'm here to investigate on this wind-whipped winter's day. I stroll along the foreshore and set out towards the lowest reaches of the exposed beach. Today is one of the biggest spring tides of the winter, and I'm hoping the combination of pounding seas and a very low tide will have exposed some fascinating relics of a past kingdom. I'm in luck, or at least my premonitions have served me well. There, scattered close to the water's edge, in their distinctive knobbly outlines, are the weather-beaten stumps of trees. Trees! Partial root systems are still visible on some of the stumps, embedded in patches of peat which have preserved these 5,000-year-old remnants of a former forest. This is just one of many sites along the coast of West Wales where such sunken forests can be seen, especially after winter storms have been at work and exposed the roots, stumps and peat deposits. And it's not just stumps that emerge from the shore either. Neolithic stone axes and Bronze Age artefacts have been found in the peat on some occasions, and even a wooden boat carved from the trunk of an ancient tree. Standing on the shoreline amongst these weather-beaten stumps and gazing seaward, I ponder the history of the landscape surrounding me. What did it look like after the ice sheet retreated from our last interglacial period and left this landscape in a state of exposed tundra? How quickly did the forests colonise the barren, scoured terrain? And how different was the sea level to the present in order to allow these forests to exist where the sea is today? I'm here on the lowest of tides to inspect the peat and ancient stumps for caches of hazelnuts. A friend of mine alerted me to this after finding hazelnuts embedded in the peat after a particularly stormy period some years ago. I was transfixed to see these hazelnuts, rolling them in my fingers and marvelling at their potential age. 5,000? 10,000 years old? They looked hardly different had they been dropped by a hazel here on the coast and stashed away by an industrious squirrel last autumn, a little faded and drained of colour perhaps. These hazelnuts tell a fascinating story in themselves, and one which should entirely transform your view of this humble tree. Scientists and paleontologists, those studying life in past ecosystems, 
have revealed that hazel is one of the earliest tree species to colonise land as the ice retreated. Extensive hazelwoods entangled much of southwest Ireland for as long as 1,000 years before others arrived and led to more of a tapestry of forest cover. It is thought that hazel arrived across the seaboard of western Wales and west Scotland through hazelnuts floating across the Irish Sea, carried on tides and prevailing winds. Hazelwood have colonised western coasts and subsequently spread inland in successive waves over the following period of time. Hazel in these highly oceanic environments, those of southwest Ireland and western Scotland, are some of our oldest forests in the UK and are categorised as Atlantic hazelwoods. The diversity of life they support is immense, with some very rare mosses and lichen communities living on the trees themselves, and the ecosystem of hazel providing habitat for all manner of birds, small mammals, invertebrates and plants. Many people think of hazel as simply an understory shrub of much larger woodlands, a tree which needs continuous coppicing to maintain its multi-stemmed form that has provided its immense use for woodworkers across the centuries. However, hazel is actually a tree which can form highly distinct forests such as those that continue to exist in southwest Ireland, often where soils are too shallow and conditions too harsh for larger species to exist. What's more, hazel doesn't require regular coppicing to persist and to produce its bushel of straight, smooth bark shoots. Regular observations of unmanaged hazel trees over decades reveals that they exist in a sort of self-perpetuating cycle of regeneration. Thin young shoots eventually become more fissured and contorted into proper branches at the centre of the tree. But young shoots will begin growing from the base and become those classic smooth-barked shoots so characterful of hazel, which become covered in amazing lichen communities with names such as the common scribble and common script lichens. Individual hazel trees can exist like this for a long time and are highly resistant to the browsing of animals too. To be in a hazelwood is to step back several centuries, to be transported into a land where wolves and bears still roamed our landscape, where our rivers were flourishing ecosystems engineered by beavers and white-tailed eagles bred around most of the UK coastline. Back on the foreshore of Portnagel, the tide has now turned and the stumps begin to recede back into the sea's embrace. These submerged forests are a poignant reminder of the challenges facing our current coastlines across the world as climate change leads to rises in our sea levels. I wonder how the people adapted and reacted to whatever change claimed these forests many thousands of years ago. Perhaps we would have lessons to learn from them. On my walk back home I pass a stand of hazels clinging to the mountainside of Manithriu. Catkins are swaying in the breeze and have started to take on their powdery texture as the pollen is released. The story of this beautiful tree and its arrival on our shores, quite literally, is one that's really captured my imagination, and I'll never look at Hazel the same way again. Ah, fascinating, Ben. Like, I mean, I work on insect migration, but you can definitely see an insect move, and you can see them fly, and you can see they have some sort of brain power to know where they want to go, or at least they know they want to disperse, but I mean, I guess it's a lot more down to chance with those hazels but I mean it's still a great way of dispersing having a floating seed and the way that they can still they remain viable to uh, get to an area then germinate themselves I mean there's got to be some sort of evolutionary ability or evolutionary reason why they're able to survive such long time so they must have must be something there to allow them to get across and 
remains solid. It's a fascinating story. It's really, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, when you think that, you know, species like coconuts and things obviously use this sort of system um, for their seeds that disperse across hundreds of kilometres sometimes. And when I was on the Azores um, last winter, you'd occasionally find the what are called seed beans um, washing up on the shore, which are the seed pods from various different tree species. Some of them could be South South America, some of them the very southern tip of Africa that have, you know, drifted all that way um, onto the beach and in the in the middle of the Atlantic. And, you know, this sort of um, life history trait is, you know, used by a few different species, but I don't think a lot of people probably consider <clears throat> the application for something like the hazel, you know, it's quite a, a, a I think, a massively overlooked um, species that maybe we just know from like hedgerows and things, some people anyway, I think. Yeah, definitely. I had no idea, but it's such a useful thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, its capacity to just regenerate with those little shoots has, mean, has meant it's been used for, you know, all sorts. I mean, I think even like Welsh clogs and things, some of those were made out of hazel, I think, as well. Yeah, and especially when I was little, me and all my mates, we would have stick wars, which is an amazing fun <laughs> yes. thing, where we just got sticks and just hit each other with them, pretending they were lightsabers. And hazel being long and straight were always the best ones you could go for. No, I loved a good hazel stick. They're, they're brilliant. And I think um, they're, they're such a useful species for hedge laying as well. I mean, it's a practice that's not really in as much use anymore, which is quite sad. But that incredible art of being able to lay the hedge down and then have the, the new regenerating shoots come up. And um, that creates such a dense thicket of habitat that so many species can use whereas like the lack of management in the current hedgerows across a lot of the UK means that they just end up like really sort of gappy and not really useful wildlife corridors for a lot of species so it's um, important like there's the farm next to us at home and they've just got a, a new grant to put in more hedgerows and get the hedgerows back because they're so important for things like runoff right if you've got a steep yeah. field and you've just got a fence at the bottom, the water's never going to stop, but all the slurry, whatever, the the stuff you put on the fields is just going to go down into the yeah. water basin. But if you've got a big hedge with loads of root exactly. networks, then it's, yeah. it's going to be really positive and, yeah. and prevent that happening to an extent anyway, as well as all the insects yeah. and birds and mammals that use them as that protection. And it's been shown yeah. that some migratory insects uh, <laughs> use hedgerows and things like that to guide them just they've got their visual aid and so they quite like following things like hedgerows or interesting or rivers and yeah endlessly useful more hedges more hazel that's what we need exactly. well basically we just need a lot more habitat anyway really but yeah <laughs> fascinating and we'll be more on it we'll get some more, more we're going to be back on it yeah yeah once every once a week no i think we might probably every two weeks or maybe once a month but we'll be we'll be back yeah perfect all right lovely to see you ben nice one will see you next time right right